back at Easter, Emily and I were given, uh, I think it's four small pots, which each had a tiny green shoot just above the soil. Just a tiny shoot was there. But with watering and the sunlight that was coming in through the kitchen window, they got a bit bigger and bigger. And these tomato plants then needed transferring into a slightly larger pot. And then you keep watering them. And you go, it's a chilly night, I'm not going to plant them out yet. Might be a sunny day, but it's a chilly night. And so it's gone on. And then finally, about a week ago, we actually popped them into the garden, going, they're too big to stay on the kitchen windowsill anymore. With nourishing, with watering, with care, they've grown. They still need a bit of strength. They still need something to hold them that's bigger. And they actually need potting out further still into a grow bag or something. But we can see flowers emerging, signs that there will be fruit. There will be a harvest that hopefully at some point a little bit later in the summer, we will be able to get. Our Lord longs for a bountiful harvest. And he believes that it's there. It's simply waiting to be gathered in. We don't have to wait the length of the summer to gather it in. It's there now. Ready. But he does need to be gathered. An activity that is engaged with spiritually and physically, with prayer and action. Now, on this week, when we've got Holiday Club and then Village Day at the end of the week. It'd be really easy to talk about the action bit and people doing things and how the labourers are few. How you need a big team to be able to do those things. But that's not really where I want to go because we're into a series on prayer. And it's the prayer elements in this passage that I want us to focus on. Because it kind of seems a bit tucked away. And you might even have wondered, as Sue read it, you know, what's he got to get out of this regarding prayer? But actually, the whole thing has prayer sewn, weaved throughout it, right from the start to the end. There is prayer in this passage. So let's start at the beginning. As Jesus commissions the 72, he instructs them, ask the Lord of the harvest 
to send out workers into his harvest field. Right there. What have to do even before anything else happens? We see prayer. Ask. Jesus is telling them to pray. Now, of course, there's a lot more in that simple verse. Because we see here a reminder that the Almighty God affords our every need. He is the Lord of the harvest. He's the the Lord of that harvest that I'll be thinking of later when I finally get to pick the tomatoes. He is the Lord who is the provider of everything that we need. He provides the bread that's caused after the growing of grain. He provides the grapes that are turned into wine. He provides for our hope and our life. In acknowledging his great power in bringing harvest, we remember his great power in bringing hope to people. But calling him Lord of the harvest is more. The suggestion is that our prayer, perhaps as the people who are the 72, Because it's more than the 12, isn't it? He's thinking about all sorts of folk going out. The suggestion is that our prayer is as if we are the farm workers going to the owner of the field to say that we've seen the corn grow and it's time for more people to come. More people to be brought in to gather the crops. Often when we see this line, we think that the harvest that is being referred to is a harvest of people. But that doesn't quite fit the structure of how it's written. It's actually a harvest of kingdom. A harvest of seeing God's kingdom come on the earth. The rich harvest is a vision that the world will more and more reflect God's intention of the earth. Where, instead of being lambs sent among wolves, we will see wolf and lamb able to lie down together. Able to feed together in peace. Where suffering and sickness are no more. We pray for the coming kingdom that needs to come. And what Jesus calls the 72 to pray for is for more laborers. Not more people within the church doing work. But for more people outside of the church to be the church.
We have to remember the parable of the vineyard labourers. The one where they all get paid the same, whatever time of day they get the job. It's in Matthew 20. We hear of an owner of the vineyard gathering workers time after time from the marketplace. And these are people in that parable who have gone to the place where they might get work. They've gone searching for whatever is right for them. They don't have work at the time. Now, we, we don't need to concern ourselves today with why they don't have work or why some of them appeared so late in the day instead of at the break of day. But we need to remember the metaphor of people searching for God but who didn't know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. People that know there's something missing in their life that need to find God. And when they do find him, they get the full reward of salvation. That's the labourers that Jesus is telling the 72 to pray for. People that don't know, but can know and can receive the great reward. He says, pray for people to come to faith. So having sent people off, presumably after they've prayed, they go off in pairs and they arrive in a village and they're to find a house. And prayer is to be their first action. First say, peace to this house. Now that's not simply saying hello at the door. It's not just a greeting. But it's calling upon God for a blessing of peace to rest upon that place. We don't see it maybe so much nowadays. Um, but quite often folk used to have a little sign that said, bless this house. Some of you might have one. Some of you maybe used to have one or know somebody that does. You know, bless this house. Not advertising a 1970s sitcom with Sid James, but requesting a prayerful presence of God to dwell. And that is to be the first action. First say this. First pray. A blessing of peace upon the house. I wonder how many of us think of praying, even silently, as we stand on the doorstep of a home we're about to go into. Or do we maybe pray, bless this shop, as we wait for the automatic door across at the co-op to open? Or stand in the queue outside Humphreys on the step? 
Do we pray bless this place as we go through the gates of a school, maybe dropping our kids off or picking them up at the end of the day? Bless this place and bless all those who teach, who serve. As we arrive either at the PRH or at Sainsbury's, is our prayer focused on finding a convenient parking spot that's not miles away from the front door? Or is it a blessing upon the staff and all within? Is praying a blessing our first thought even as we pass over the threshold here, as we come into a place of worship? Is saying, God bless this place the thing we're thinking of, the thing that's in our heart, the thing that we're doing, wherever we are and wherever we're called to. I wonder, what if that was the first thing that we always did? Whether we were saying it aloud or whether it was a silent prayer that we were making, what a difference it might make to the people who live or work or visit those places. Those places that we go on a daily basis. So there's a bit of a challenge for you this week. As we go places, as you step into each new building or step out of that building, pray a blessing. Pray peace be to this house. Because prayers don't need to be long. But they can be quite simple. I don't know if you've ever come across the concept of guerrilla gardening. Any of you? Blank faces, lots of shaking of head. Gavilla gardening is where people get some soil or compost and they mix some seeds in with it, just a handful. And then under the cover of darkness, they go out and throw this little potential horticultural hand grenade into a bit of wasteland onto an ugly roundabout into derelict and neglected locations and with God and the action of nature these illegally cast items I wouldn't be encouraging you to do this of course it's against the law But these things sprout and they grow and they give colour and vibrance and show life. They beautify 
the most difficult places. In places that are often forgotten. Or the places that we might turn away from. Our prayers. Short. Simple. Can have that effect. That very sense of touching a place. May God's blessing be here. May God's peace be known. May the love of God descend. Simple prayers, short prayers. But prayers that the Lord hears. And prayers that if we say them aloud can encourage and inspire and touch people's hearts too. We don't know how many homes the 72 blessed that they went to in their pairs. We don't know where they got turned away from But even as they shook sand from their shoes, they said, God's kingdom has been near. They continued to express God's love and presence in the world. They returned to Jesus. And we don't know how many lives had been changed either by their prayer or by their action. But we do hear that they saw great wonders performed through their prayers in Jesus' name. That they saw lives turned around. Before their very eyes, they saw something of God's kingdom coming as they prayed in the name of Jesus. And when they shared this with the Lord, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, brings a prayer. A prayer of thanks. And it would seem in the way that it's written, it's not necessarily words of his choosing as a man, but words that are brought forth by the Holy Spirit. Similar in origin to the prayerful words that we hear coming at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, when Mary brings her song, and then later in the same chapter as the spirit moves Zechariah it's not that Mary and Zechariah were great hymn writers that we remember those words today it's because the spirit brought it forth from their mouth words of praise came to their lips brought by the spirit now we can sometimes experience this too not necessarily suddenly bursting into song, and I'm sure you'll all be very grateful if I don't actually do that. 
But although we might have the first line of a prayer in mind, we might not have a second. We might just know the first bit we want to say. But as we open our mouths and start to speak, we might actually find the Spirit guiding us into the second line and the third and beyond. When people pray in tongues, it is this, but even more so. It's not that someone gifted in tongues plans what they will say, but simply that the Holy Spirit moves them to say whatever the Spirit would have them say, whatever words of praise and prayer. Of course, we'll hear a bit more about that at Pentecost in a couple of weeks' time. For now, if we want to see fruitful growth, if we want to see things happen, we have to sow that seed of prayer if we want to see the kingdom grow. We need to be preparing the way ahead, praying as we live our daily lives, praying as we rejoice in all the good that God does. Prayer needs to be ingrained in our outgoing and our coming in. Prayer needs to be not just that specific daily time that we might have set aside but it needs to be throughout our day as well continually lifting the world before him so that in our lives and through our prayers we will see great growth and the coming of God's kingdom Amen.